Oh, I'm so excited for you guys to meet Jessie. Um, she has a, a long bio that I'm not going to read to you tonight. <laughs> Don't read it. But um, Y'all can read it later. She is my friend. That is all you need to know. She is Deanna's friend. Um, and uh, we are so excited that she is here. She's, she's a leader in our district. Um, she's a leader in our movement. Um, and um, even in other movements. She's a voice in other movements. So she's just starting fires all over the place. And we are so excited to have you here. Would you guys welcome one more time Jesse Cruikshank? <laughs> well, it is an honor and a privilege to be here. Um, I, uh, all those things are true, and there are other things that are true. And some of it you'll get to hear as, we, as I drop them in in different times. Um, but it's good to get, have an opportunity to get my little Mockingjay on. Is anybody, anybody a Hunger Games fan? You just kind of set the world on fire. Um, I used to think it was a curse, because it kind of God does it without my permission. Um, and I used to, used to have a very difficult time with that, but as we'll talk over the next couple days or so, um, I'm just becoming more okay with who he made me to be. Because I can sit in a room and say nothing, and the Lord will light people on fire. And it is uncomfortable to be that person. When you have an anointing for change, not everybody likes you. So when you have an anointing for healing and you walk into the room, like, people are excited, right? When you have an anointing for change and, and that, not, not everybody's excited about change. Um, so I've had to learn to be really pastoral in the midst of that. But we'll talk about that. So... But I just want to start in prayer. I just want to come before you, Papa. Papa, I thank you for this time, Lord. I thank you for this opportunity. Lord, I thank you for the people who have done the work to pray so far. Lord, what a blessing. Lord, I thank you for those who are going to continue to do the work and continue to pray in this space. Lord, I thank you for the heart of worship that exists here. Lord, for the legacy of of Brent and Tana, Lord God, I pray and thank you for all the DNA that exists deep within these walls, within these hearts. Lord, and right now I just step in under the mantle that you've placed on my life, Lord God, and I, Holy Spirit, give you free reign. This is your time. This is your time. Father, we give you permission to touch our hearts. We give you permission to speak to us. We give you permission to stir us up. We give you permission to shake us. Because we believe you are good. And you will lead us into good things. And I just declare that we trust you. I trust you, Father. I trust you, Papa. Be God here tonight. Show us your glory. In your holy name, amen. Now, I just want to confirm a couple of the words that were spoken here tonight prophetically. Um, a couple weeks ago, in the middle of May, I had the opportunity to be in New York for a week. And um, one of the groups that I lead is an international think tank called 100 Movements. And we exist to catalyze existing denominations and church networks into being movemental, into being movements. And we brought uh, about 70 of uh, different global leaders um, into uh, New York um, from, from all kinds of denominations, Catholics, Anglican bishops, independent 
evangelical church networks, Mennonites, Baptists, the Baptists showed up, <laughs> Pentecostals from all over the world, and we were all in the same room, and we spent the first half a day corporately repenting that the body of Christ does not look like Jesus. Now, even if the Lord did nothing the rest of that week, that did something. But what we spent the rest of the time doing was just being a peer group with one another and talking about how the lessons that we've each learned can help each other. And we spent time soaking in the unity of the body of Christ. And for all of our very significant differences that existed in the theologies of the people in that room, they didn't matter. They didn't even come up. Nobody even talked about it at all. It was nothing. Because all of that is so small compared to the love of Jesus and just being a people after his heart. And we could do that together and seeing this, this global body of Christ begin to form was an amazing privilege just to sit in that room and experience what God was doing. You know, I have friends, um, uh, some friends in uh, Germany, and um, we convened a different conference group last December, uh, again, of global people, and we were feeling things stirring in our hearts, and one of the major prophetic people said, I think I know what this is, so let's get together and let's talk about it. Because sometimes, you like start to think you're crazy. Yeah. You're like, uh, the Lord is doing something, but I don't know. And then you look on Elijah list and they're like all just blessing. And you're like, no, 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 no. That's for somebody else, but it's not for this. It's not for me. It's not because what you're hearing is so different. And so we got together and we started talking about it and we were all discerning the same thing. And maybe you have to, because you're a people of prayer. And that is that the age has changed. Amen. The church age has changed. Yes. Probably, I mean, for me, I really noticed it significantly last June. Um, and so by the fall, different things people were seeing and sensing. So by December, we were all like, something's different. The heavens are different. The age and the earth is different. What is different? <laughs> What is happening? And one of my friends, Wolfgang Simpson, said um, that it, there, we're in the new missional age. That's how he put it. There was the, the age to the coastlands, coastlands, the coasts, and that was Hudson Taylor. And then there was age of missionary into the inlands, and that's when everybody like, wanted to go to China, and they wanted to go inward into the different countries. And then the next missional age, the thir third missional age, was to the unreached people groups. Well, in December, literally the week before our meeting, a group called Finish the Task that adopts language groups on the planet and creates a gospel message for them, literally the week before our gathering, the very last language groups on the planet have been adopted. And they were deaf languages, deaf peoples of, because of, every, you know, we have English American Sign Language. Well, if you don't speak American, then you don't use American Sign Language. If you have to speak German, then you use German Sign Language. So there's a different sign language for all these different languages. And so the, all of the language groups on the planet have been adopted and people are currently working to craft a gospel message for them. And so there's a new missional age. There's a new church age. 
and the missional age, the people that the Lord is vehemently coming after are the people in the church, the people in the pews, the people who are done with church, the people who tried church and hated it. God is coming after his bride. And that's amazing. It's an exciting time to be in. You know, I'm hearing of miracles. I get the opportunity to travel and there are, I get to be in these small churches across the Midwest and they are, they're literally my most favorite because when it's real, it's real there. And if it's not real there, then it's not really real. And can I tell you that the body is maturing? The body is growing up, becoming mature. And I, every church I sit in, I'm like struck in awe and wonder from the Father of just like a worship, like, Lord, you are growing us up. And it's amazing. The miracles are breaking out. There are people being raised from the dead all over this nation. And I'm not going to tell you where because it's not about that. It's about the glory of the God. But it's happening. And it's not happening because we're smart. And it's not happening because we're pure. And it's not happening because we're amazing. It's happening because it's his prerogative to do it. Which means because we didn't earn it, we can't really screw it up. And that is freedom for me. (laughs) Amen? Okay, this is not my sermon right now. But I just wanted to encourage you guys what is happening and what you're seeing is really real. And the kingdom is breaking out of the ground all over the place, all over the world. And it's happening in this country too. So we give praise to the Lord for that. Amen. Well, I want to um, I, I want to release something over you guys these next few days. And so I've sat with the Father about this. And, and really what I want to release is not something that I want to impart because that's not what I feel the Father's heart is for this. I want to actually release something that exists already within you. So I'm not here to deposit. I'm here to draw out. I'm here to open some doors. I'm here to help you see what God has already put on your hand. Because as I was praying about this, the image that I got was that you've been grasping. Like, Lord, you know, we prayed it for a long time. Like, right, rend the heavens, rend the heavens. And we're just pulling and we're pulling and, and we're grasping. And it feels kind of like God isn't responding to that. Or at least it's felt that way. And part of this new church age is that we don't have to do this. Right. right? In fact, what the Lord is actually wanting to teach us is that everything that we've been asking for is already right here. And it just has to come out. So there's a release. The Lord wants to do a multiplying work in this place. And it's not because he gives you something new, but because he actualizes and accelerates something that already exists within you. So over the next couple days, we're going to talk about what you already have, which may be boring, but I promise to try to do my best. Oh, so our sweet spot together um, is just going to be, I, wanna, I actually titled this series Beyond Revival because I want us to pray a better prayer. And you'll find out what I mean by that over the next few days. So I want us to covenant together that you'll be you and I'll be me and we'll let God be God. Okay? Is that something you can agree to? You be you, and I'll be me, and it's actually kind of a big deal for us to be ourselves. 
Because as Graham Cook says, and I'm a huge fan of Graham Cook, I love Graham Cook. Mm. He speaks my spiritual language. <laughs> Graham Cook says that the enemy attacks us in the place between our sonship, our identity, and our calling. So there's how we think about ourselves, how we think about who we are in Christ, then there's what we do, and there's a gap. And that's where the enemy comes in and attacks us. So tonight we're going to talk about identity. We're going to talk about who we are in Christ. We're going to talk about not our generic identity as Christians, but our specific identity. Because I think we spend a lot of time when we talk about identity, we talk about generic Christianity, about being more Christ-like. And I don't really think that that's God's goal. Because if that was his goal, then he would have made us all male Jewish carpenters. So he doesn't actually want us to be exactly like Jesus. And Dallas Willard puts it this way. He says, the goal of discipleship is not that you would be like Jesus, but discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. So if Jesus lived your life, if Jesus had your parents, if Jesus lived in your house with your kids, what would he look like if he were you? If Jesus had your job and your boss and your coworkers, what would Jesus look like? So our alignment with our heavenly identity is not a generic thing. It's a specific thing. It's a specific thing. Who has God said you are and what has he called you to do? You all have had other people here, other people that I uh, have listened to, and, and I work to practice my entering in. I work on practicing my going up. Anybody know what I'm talking about when you go up into the heavenlies where you experience the Lord? So I have long had the ability to hear God, but I've been practicing on my scene, my visual. I'm not, I'm not very good at it, I guess. At least I don't feel very confident in it, so I just write it down. But every now and then I definitely have something that's profound that I see. And one time as I was um, talking with God and, and wanting the visuals to match with the audio, um, he took me into this cave and I said, Lord, will you take me to where Jesus is? And he takes me into this cave, and as I go into this cave, suddenly the walls are lined with stairs. And it's this big, giant well, this big, giant hole, and the wall is lined with stairs. And all along in the wall are like, you know, like those wine racks that are like X's? So, so it's like that all along the wall, but in them is not bottles of wine, but they're scrolls. In every one of those cubbies is a scroll. And I see Jesus walking up and down the stairs and he is opening these scrolls and he is reading them. And, and what he's reading in the center of this giant cave that swirls down in the center and below is the earth in its molten form, in its formation. And as Jesus is walking up and down these stairs, he's reading these scrolls over the earth being formed. And what the Holy Spirit told me in that moment is that each one of those scrolls is a person. Each one of those scrolls is a life. And scripture talks about how in, uh, in Jeremiah, how that your days have been written. He has literally written them down. 
And, and in this vision that I had, Jesus was speaking them into the formation of the earth. So you have a destiny that exists, that is spoken, seated, words of, of Jesus seated into the foundation of the earth. So that either makes you excited or scared. <laughs> but I want to encourage you that these are specific words. Yes. You have a specific life. And we, our goal is that we would come into alignment with that specific thing that God is speaking. I want to take a minute and look at Luke. Just to let you know you're not alone or unusual in your situation in this. Luke 3.21. In Luke 3.21 is the baptism of Jesus. And so when one day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was, came to be baptized. And as he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit bodily form descended on him like a dove. And the voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. And then Luke does something that my book editor would not be happy with. He goes into the genealogy of Jesus. So he takes a moment. Jesus has just been baptized, right? Holy Spirit comes down, voice from heaven, boom, big moment. And let's take a long time and look at the genealogy of Jesus. <laughs> but, the, but Luke puts this in chapter 3 there because you can't separate Jesus' ancestry from the moment when the Holy Spirit descended and the voice from heaven spoke. This is Jesus' identity. This is who he is. It's both all of that history, all of those people, all of the good things and the bad things and the scandals, all of that exists along with, this is my, dear, my son whom I dearly love. Jesus' identity is more than just that moment. It's big. It's comprehensive. It took a long time for God to build up to it. So our identity is our specific stories in this. And so then after the, after the genealogy, then we have the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness, which is very profound. And, and I preached on that before, so I'm not going to do that here because it would distract us. But after Jesus comes out of the wilderness, then he goes into his town, his hometown in Nazareth. And they're having synagogue, and he takes the scroll of Isaiah, opens it up, unrolls it, finds his place out of, out of order, and reads the following. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. All of this is who Jesus is. All of this from the Holy Spirit coming down to the long family history to this word has been fulfilled in your hearing. All of this is who Jesus is. And Jesus spoke prophetically over himself even before he had done any ministry. Because it wasn't a thing to prove. He didn't have to prove who he was. He could just be who he was. He didn't have to prove he was David's ancestor. He just could be David's ancestor. He didn't have to prove that he was dearly loved by the Father. He could just be dearly loved by the Father. 
So embracing who you are is huge, is huge. I have to embrace who I am. See, our testimony has power in it. And our testimony is our story of our life. And scripture says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and our word of our testimony. So you have to embrace who you are specifically. Specifically your story. What is your story? What is the power in your story? That's the first thing I want to ask you tonight. What is the power in your story? So my story is like ridiculous. I'm sure you guys have all have ridiculous stories too. But I spent the first 15 years of my life being abused. My mother had brain surgery when I was three. I grew up taking care of my family, taking care of my siblings. My brother's bipolar. It was very violent. And I would became a, prove, a performer in order to get attention. So I strove. I was a very good student. I was a very good student. But I did that not out of uh, um, any other desire than to try to get attention because otherwise my parents ignored me because they were too busy dealing with my brother and my sister and, and how difficult everything was. And so in the middle of that, we got kicked out of church because we were attending a church that didn't believe that women should speak. And that didn't go very well for me because I can't help myself, that anointing thing that God does in me. And when you know more Bible than your Sunday school teacher because you were a good student and you actually went to every Awana class and memorized all the books, it just didn't go very well. And so we got kicked out when I was a teenager. We're much better Foursquare than we were that other denomination. Um, but, you know, being suicidal when I was a teenager, um, being told that God didn't have that plan for my life and that, you know, I couldn't have a call to ministry. Um, and then I go to college and I have a major moral failure. And I have to come back to God in the middle of that. And then I went into full-time ministry and I was support raising a missionary for 13 years. And nothing is as humbling as asking people for your salary. But I saw a lot of miracles. I saw a lot of miracles. I made way less than the males that I worked with because the people who loved me would say, I love you at $25 a month because you're not the breadwinner or you're not the head of your house or you don't have kids. So I was difficult and I had to work through a lot of stuff with the father. And in the middle of that, I couldn't have kids. We lost four, lost four babies. We tried for eight years, and I spent three years leading a ministry but not praying because I was so mad at God because he was going to do whatever he wanted anyway, and he wasn't answering my prayers. So leading a ministry while not praying is kind of a very hypocritical place to be, but it was my dark night of the soul, and I got to sit with the Father and just be mad at him and learn he didn't care. He was okay with that. And he wasn't gonna kick me out or push me away. And so we spent years in that place. And I gained a very deep trust in who he is. And out of that, out of that full-time ministry, then the Lord told me it was time to leave. And that was difficult. I had a nervous breakdown actually leaving because 
they were my kids. The people that I led were my, were my family. But I did it because I'm obedient. And then the Lord had his church plan. He had my husband and I help with the church plan, which was great for him because he got to preach, but it wasn't for me because the pastor's wife didn't like me. And I wasn't allowed to talk to the pastor, ever. So, you know, you deal with what you deal with. You deal with the life that's handed to you. But eventually, I end up being bivocational, where I was working in a church and I was working in the world like everyone else. And I got the opportunity to rest and be done with church for a little bit. So if you read about those people who were done and left church, I was there. I did it. I called it rest. <laughs> That's what it was for me. And I'm in the middle of that when the Lord says, okay, but I'm still serious about that call on your life. And he comes back to get me. <laughs> and I got recruited into denominational leadership. And I'm like, Lord, are you serious? Have you, have you seen me? Do you know me? Like, I play roller derby. I have been known to cuss when I pray with people. I'm not the kind of person you put in national leadership. And I don't really know what I think about this whole, like, institutionalized church thing. Because I have been in the wilderness and in the parachurch ministry I, I helped run, and I have experienced the kingdom so deep, so deep, so profoundly, so much, that to come into an environment that is not that is just frustrating. So I'm like, Lord, are you sure? Are you sure you want me? And he obviously was sure. <laughs> and so I came back. I came back. And at this point in my life, God and I have been through so much that I can really tell you I am fully satisfied in who he is. I am fully satisfied in who he says I am. And I don't apologize anymore. I don't apologize for how he made me. I don't apologize that I'm a girl. Amen. And that was a big deal. I tell you what, that was a big deal. <laughs> I don't apologize for my anointing and that it makes other people uncomfortable. I don't apologize for the way the Holy Spirit moves through me and sometimes that has a cuss word in it. Some of you, some of you feel that. Just to be clear, I am not allowed to have a negative thought towards someone in my heart. The Holy Spirit does not give me permission to do that. So if I see you and I think a bad thought about you, the Holy Spirit's like, mm-mm, nope, nope, that's illegal, that's cursing. But sometimes when I'm praying with someone and their Christianese is so thick and the enemy has told them so many lies through Bible verses, sometimes you just got to cut through that. And it's not an utteration out of control. I'm using language like a scalpel. And it's extremely intentional. Just to be clear for those of you who are thinking, no, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I agree with that. I've done a lot of work to be here. I've done a lot of therapy. I've done a lot of work with the Lord. And God has taught me deep lessons. And I have more to learn and I'm telling you this because there's power in testimony. There's power in testimony. I want you to know that I'm not up here because my life has been great. Not, not the truth. I'm from Wyoming. 
right? Okay, from Thermopolis, Wyoming. Right? There are 1,500 people in that town. And the next closest town is 32 miles and there are 80 people. And the next closest town is 63 miles and there's 120 people, right? It's tiny. It's tiny. So, you know, there's no silver spoon anywhere in my world. <laughs> Just therapy. But at this point in my life, I know that I know that I know that God is delighted in me. He is delighted in me, and I am so satisfied in him. So these are the testimonies that I carry. Your freedom in Christ. I carry a power and anointing for freedom in Christ. For the restoration of relationships and family, because my family is restored. My family, we get along. We had Thanksgiving together, and there was no fighting, and there were even grandkids around, and there was no fighting. So my brother, who got help, is a totally different person, and I am completely reconciled to him. And he, every one of my family is completely reconciled. That's amazing. I carry a testimony for breakthrough, transformation, change, wilderness seasons, and fire, and passion. What are the testimonies you carry? What are the anointings you carry? Testimony carries the spirit of prophecy and it makes a way for someone. The life that I have lived, the battles that I have fought, the things I've won, the things I've lost, the scars I have are prophetic over the lives of the people I get to come into contact with and that I have the privilege and honor of ministering with. So are yours. What do you carry? What do you carry? Your anointing is correlated to your testimony. Peter knew this when he said, silver and gold I have not, but what I have I freely give you. Paul knew this when he said, I came to not... I, I came and as I sat among you, I sought to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. He didn't come with wise and per persuasive words. He wasn't an elegant speaker. <coughs> what do you carry? Each of you have a, has a revelation that carries an anointing. I promise. Because even if you just believe in Jesus, that is a revelation that carries an anointing. Amen. But what else? What else? It's your testimony that you carry and it's not someone else's. If you tell someone else's story, it can inspire, it can inform, but it doesn't carry an anointing. The story that carries an anointing is your story. Paul says in Galatians 1.1, he says, quote, this is a letter from Paul the Apostle. I was not appointed by any group or people or any human authority, but through Jesus Christ himself and by the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Paul knew who he was. And he wasn't apologizing for it. Who does God say you are? And how are you apologizing for it? Stop.
Stop it. God is not apologizing for who he made you to be. God is not apologizing for the story of your life. See, looking at Jesus, he's like, ugh, kind of blew that one. Could have done better. No. God is not apologetic for who you are. Why are you apologizing? Why are you hedging? When we exist in this world and we see people on TV and we listen to podcasts and we, we look on the internet and all that stuff, we see people all the time and we look at them and we look at their story and we look at their anointing and the enemy comes in that space and brings accusation. And he says, you're not like them. You're not doing that. You don't have that. And he says it to us to diminish us. And it's time we start telling him to shut up. Amen. All right? Because Amen. that is not the truth from heaven. That is not the truth from heaven. Stop coveting somebody else's testimony. Stop coveting somebody else's anointing and step into what God has put in you. Amen. Because it's powerful. And it's only powerful when you release it. If you try to work in somebody else's anointing or do what they do, if I was up here and I was trying to be Graham Cook, it would be weird and it wouldn't work. All I can do is be me, right? We covenanted at the beginning that I would be me and you would be you. Because that shakes hell. There is power when we step into our specific story our specific testimony, our specific identity. When my life comes into alignment with that scroll that Jesus wrote at the foundation of the earth, then I am a conduit for the power of heaven. And it's not because I'm smart. And it's not because I'm a boy. Or all those other things that people told me I needed to be. The enemy doesn't want you to embrace your weaknesses. The enemy wants to shame you in your strengths. The enemy wants to tell you that you were made wrong or you're doing it wrong. But God made you to need sleep. He made you to need food. He made you, if you're extroverted, to be extroverted. He made you to be introverted if you're introverted. God bless the introverts, by the way. We need more support in Christianity for the introverts. Yes. For the, some of you are morning people, right? Some of us are not morning people, all right? Some of us need coffee in order to be Christian Amen. and human. <laughs> God made you with strengths. He made you with weaknesses, and he called it good. He called it good. Galatians 3, 2 through 5 says this. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message that you heard about Christ. So how foolish can you be now? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect in your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? No. no. Does God do miracles because we're doing it right? No. no. 
It is because you believed the message you heard about Christ. You don't move in greater power in the Holy Spirit because you're doing it the right way or you're being perfect. We have to let go of that. The only one who's telling us that we have this goal of perfection is the enemy. Because if I read my, he- my Bible and Hebrews 10:14 says that God's already made me perfect. Thank you. Yeah. I tell my husband this all the time. Yeah. He's not as fond of it as I am. <laughs> Perfection's not God's goal. Perfection's not God's goal. He kind of feels like he's already taken care of that. He kind of feels like he did that on the cross. And it's done. And it's yeah. finished. Yeah. So we have to find a different way of engaging with the accusation of the enemy. Right? Because he's going to still show up. Right? He's going to still come and talk to us. So let me, let me tell you what I've done to help redeem my testimony. Right? Help take ownership of my testimony back from the enemy. So I'm a recovering perfectionist, as I told you. Right? I became perfect in order to, for my parents to even see me. Right? That's that's deep and that's awful and that leads to destruction in my own heart and in my own soul and so I had to come up with a new way of dealing with the enemy and his accusation against my lack of perfection because the truth is is I'm not actually perfect (laughs) so here's what the Holy Spirit taught me to do comes out of Matthew 5:25. Matthew 5:25 says agree with your adversary quickly while you're on your way with him lest any time the adversary delivers you over to the judge and the, the judge will deliver you over to the officer and you will be cast into prison. So what he's saying, what, what Jesus is saying in this is like, come to a place of peace, agree with your adversary and change, change the process. So this is what I do, okay? Because I like to frustrate the enemy. He comes to me and he's like, oh, look at that. You were grouchy. You were grouchy to your husband, you didn't have enough coffee, and you're a bad human being, and a bad wife, and I can't believe, like, you are a pastor. And I'm like, oh, okay. I was grouchy before coffee, and it was not good. I said some not good things. But that's where the conversation ends with the enemy, okay? So he gets to point something out, and I'm like, okay. And then I turn my back on him, and I'm like, okay, Papa. I was grouchy with my husband before coffee. Can you come be Lord in my life? Can you teach me how to be a better Christian before coffee? Can you change my heart so that maybe I can wake up in a better mood? And so whatever the enemy uses to point out for my shame and my destruction, I say, okay, weakness in me, Papa, here I am. Papa, here I am, this is yours, it's your heart. Will you be Lord of my life here? Will you have ownership over this space? Because then the enemy, because his favorite thing is to point out the problem and then provide you the solution, right? That's what he did in the garden. That's what he did to Adam and Eve. He says, oh, problem. God's holding out on you. Here's a solution. Eat the tree. So the enemy likes to give you the solution. Don't take his solution. He's maybe not wrong in the problem, but don't let, let that be the end of the conversation with him. So I agree with my accuser as quickly as possible and then invite the Lord into that space. And the enemy gets really grumpy about that. And so he accuses me less. And I'm fine with that. (laughs) But in this strategy, in this space, my weaknesses then can never be used against me. 
Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. My weaknesses can never be used against me because either God's fine with it, and there's a lot of my weaknesses he's fine with, or he's showing me a better way in that place, and he's redeeming me, and I'm being obedient to him there. What does it look like to come into alignment with the scroll that Jesus wrote in the foundation of the earth? What does spiritual maturity look like? What does it look like to be mature in your identity? For me, it looks like being four years old. For me, when I'm with the Father, I am four years old. That is my residual self-image for those of you who are old enough to know what the matrix is. <laughs> I am running around in Papa's house. I am jumping off furniture. I am screaming. I am playing. And I am completely unaware of the complexity of the world. And this is freedom to me. Because the truth is the mysteries of the kingdom are so deep. And the universe is so vast. Even what we think we know, we're still really just like four years old. Okay? Right? Yeah. Yeah. No real. <laughs> God's really big. And there's a lot of things we don't have a clue about. Right? Okay. If he's okay with it, then I need to be okay with it. Right? And as a four-year-old, you know, you can run around and, and if you're about, I just really trust him, right? So if I'm about to do something stupid, like run out into the street because I'm not paying attention, he's gonna be like, nope. And I'm like, okay, right? He yeah. can tell me to stop and I'm, I'm obedient and I can stop and I can, I can listen because I'm a good four-year-old, but every now and then I have a tent for a tantrum and I argue and I pout and I scream and I stomp my feet and he's patient with me in that too. So I don't have to pretend to be anything or feel anything that I don't feel. I can just be there completely abandoned and free with my father. And I can jump off the furniture and he will catch me because he is a good father. Right? For me, maturity four years old cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you come like a little child I think the enemy distracts us and he talks us into all the wrong fights and he talks us into all the wrong challenges and he gets us working on being perfect over here when God's like no really just like trust me I got that let it go I don't want that for you. Stop trying so hard. Do you ever wonder why he like doesn't answer all your prayers? He might have a different agenda than you do. The enemy comes in in my life and he comes in in our life, especially those of us who want to just, we're dedicated disciples right? We're, we are passionate for God. We are fervent for God. And the enemy comes in and he hands us again the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of right and wrong, of sin and righteousness. And he hands it to us 
And he says, here's what's right and here's what's wrong. Here's what's good and here's what's bad. And then when we eat that, when we say, okay, let me be more aware, then he accuses us. And he uses it to destroy our souls. But Papa, but Papa comes in. And we see him and we stand before him. And because we've eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we repent before him and we repent for being human and we repent for being weak and we repent for being naked. And you know what God says in response to that? He says, who told you you were naked? He saw us. He knew. He knows. He made us that way. And there was no shame. There was no accusation. God never shames us. So in my heart, I run around. I run around in freedom. Ministry team, will you come up? And that's what I want to call you to tonight. That's what I want to give you the opportunity to respond to. I want to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. I don't want the enemy to be any part of the conversation about my identity. I don't want the enemy to tell me my story. I don't want the enemy to twist my strengths. I don't want the enemy to do anything in this space. I want to embrace the depth and the mystery that God made me who I am and he called it good. That there's power in my scars. There's power in my revelation. There's power in my story to set someone else free. So I'm not talking about an ignorant or an unlearned Christianity. What I'm talking about is a deep abiding. I'm not for because I'm ignorant and naive. I'm for because I've understood how big the mystery is, sort of. And I'm okay that he's okay. That I only know what I know. And I'll only do what I do. And if God's okay with me, why am I disagreeing with him? I am so content in God. He can make me big. He can make me small. I can have a little. I can have a lot. But it doesn't matter. Because what I don't have is not a sign of whether or not he's pleased with me. He's pleased with me. He's pleased with you. If you're looking at your life and the enemy says, oh, well, if you were something different, then you would have something different. That's, that's what we got to stop listening to. Right? That's what we have to ask God what he thinks instead. Only the enemy is going to tell you your life is all wrong. God's going to tell you the truth. God's going to tell you something that's hopeful. Never shames you. See, I'm not that cool, right? Okay, I have ADHD. Like, I run into walls. My husband calls me Medusa when I'm hangry. And I get hangry. And I have wounds in my heart that haven't healed yet. But I have a God who loves me. And he sees all of this. He even made me this way in some of those circumstances. And he delights in me and he would not have me be any different. 
except for where he tells me to, and then I'm just obedient. He sees all of my faults and thinks nothing of them. Because like a four-year-old, I'm cute, right? They drool, they get in trouble, but can you really punish them? It's gotten hard, because they're cute. That's what God thinks about you. That's what God thinks about you. Do you believe that tonight? God sees my brokenness and he sees my shame and he says to me, who told you you were naked? Who told you there was anything to be ashamed of? This is how we know ourselves. This is our true identity. Who does God say we are? So here's what I want to give you the opportunity tonight. Where has the enemy seated a disconnection between you and God? Where has the enemy twisted your story? Or used your story to shame you? Where have you listened to him that you were made wrong? Tonight I want to give you the opportunity to take back your story. Because this is our founding, this is our foundation for where we're gonna go the next few days. Because we can't go to where God wants to take us until we trust him more and until we trust ourselves more. Because remember, as I told you at the beginning, it's not about imparting a thing, but it's about releasing the thing that's already here. And what's already here is you, and your story, and your anointing, and who God made you to be. And when you step into that, the power just comes. Holy Spirit just comes. The things that the enemy used to hurt you become your weapon. So I want to give you the opportunity tonight to take back your scroll from the hands of the enemy. So if this is speaking anything to you, if you, the Lord is stirring anything to you and he wants you to respond, I just want to invite you to come up and just kneel because we're going to sing over and I'm going to pray over you guys. I want to give you the opportunity to rest and find strength in who God made you to be. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We have the opportunity to take back our scroll from the enemy and put it in the hands of the Father and say, make my life what you want. I'm done apologizing. I'm done apologizing. I don't want the enemy to shame you anymore. You know, we live in a part of the country where, well, we're flyover states, right? Right? People don't even know Wyoming exists. They think it's in another country. And there's something powerful about that position. There's something powerful about being ignored by the rest of the world. There's something powerful about being uh, discriminated against and oppressed. And there's something powerful about having that lowly position because there is a grace there in those anointings. There's a grace there in those testimonies that other people don't have. Do they have a beatitude written about them? Blessed are those who persecuted. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. 
Blessed are those who are peacemakers. Blessed are those whom the world has discounted and have seen the ugly side of humanity. Because there is a grace there. There is a power there in the kingdom. So if you want to just ask the Lord for more there, Lord God, we're just gonna, I'm just gonna ask you to stand up. We're gonna worship, we're gonna worship the Lord. And I want you to just respond as the Holy Spirit is leading you. What do you need to tell the enemy to be quiet about? What do you need that the enemy is shamed and you just need to put that in the presence of God? So he can't, he can't be part of the conversation anymore. Like, Lord, it's you. You tell me about that. You tell me how you see this. Where have you been beaten down and told your story doesn't matter? Can we just put that in the light of the presence of God and ask him to show us the power of our own testimony, the revelation that we have of him? Because we're going to learn how to shine in that. We're going to learn how to shine. So, Papa, I plead the blood of Jesus over every heart and every mind and every soul here tonight. I plead the blood of Jesus over all of us, Lord God, and I just ask that you would take control of our thought life and the way we think about ourselves. Lord, would you take control of our narrative? Lord, wherever we have held on to it ourselves, wherever we've given power over to the enemy, Lord God, we take it back and we put it in your hands. I put it in your hands, Lord. Will you recreate me according to your image and who you called me to be from the foundation of the earth? Lord Jesus, we give you lordship of our lives, even the places that we hide, even the places we have shame, even our scars. We give you lordship over every piece of it. Lord, where we feel small, where we feel insignificant, where we feel ignored. We just right now, out of faith, embrace the anointing of the kingdom that comes in that place, the grace of the kingdom that comes in that place. Because you've chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, and you've chosen the weak things of this world to confound the strong. And we say, yes, Lord, that describes me. I am foolish and weak. Use me. Use me.
you to look at those hands. And the, the new church age, the new thing that God is doing across the face of the earth, revival isn't coming down. Revival is coming out of here. So I want you to look at those hands. Those are hands of revival. That's the truth. Those are hands of the new move of God. Yes, yes. Those are hands that carry healing. Jesus. Those are hands that carry deliverance. Those are hands that set people free when you love them and embrace them and you speak blessing and peace over them. The revival isn't going to overwhelm us. It comes out of our bones. So, as you find that place, as you find peace with God, more fire comes. So I bless you. I bless your hands. I bless your hearts. I bless your testimonies. I bless your anointings. I bless your passions. I bless the things that burn in your heart that you want to do. Lord God, we give you praise for your glory, for your glory, because when it's all of us, he gets the glory. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Amen. Jesus. Jesus, we just declare we love you tonight. Thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Let that become more true, more true, more true, more true for us. By your grace and by your mercy, let us believe that you are delighted. Let us believe that you are so proud of us. Let us believe that we are your children and you dearly love. so much, Jesse. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. <laughs> I'm just thankful, God, for your word that changes us, that rearranges us. God, we just acknowledge uh, tonight, Lord, acknowledge God you've been speaking to us about who you've called us to be oh Jesus and our purpose on this planet is to know you and to make you know and Holy Spirit I just pray that you'd continue to fan the flame and stir up those passions that you put inside of us Thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for speaking directly to our hearts. We say we love you. We give you all of us. We love you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.